Hello everybody, welcome to the ICS podcast. My name is Martin Calver. I'm the marketing director here at ICS Digital and ICS Translate. Today I'm joined by James Robinson, who is head of digital product at Benson's for Beds. So James, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Um, so for those who don't know, what do you do at like Benson's for Beds? I mean, people will be familiar with the brand in the UK, certainly. Um, but what can you tell us about the role, what you get up to, uh, and I guess the the wider purpose of this of this kind of digital product role. Sure. Um, so essentially, Benson's for Beds for people who don't know the um, brand sell uh, mattresses and beds in the UK and have uh, retail physical retail locations and um, obviously a transactional website. So my role really is to essentially translate customer requirements, customer needs um, into web experiences that match those needs and hopefully encourage a customer to either purchase a product online or, or in-store, essentially. Um, there's obviously a lot which which goes into that, but really that's the um, that's the overarching um, goal. I mean, so, I mean, a lot does go into that. You're joining up that customer, you know, intent, you know, having empathy for customers and then, you know, looking at what the, the wider experience is. Um, of all the things you get involved with, like what, what do you like most about the role? I think it is that kind of understanding of, of the customer. Um, I think throughout throughout my kind of experience working in, in digital, you have a lot of access to data, which gives you an understanding of Kind of what is going on um, with your with your website, your service, or products, and you might have you know tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of of users or customers visiting a site over a week or a month or a year. Lots of data, lots of interactions there. Really getting underneath why are customers doing what they're doing, what are they trying to um, achieve that extra extra level of detail below where we can see people are visiting here or clicking on this when you try and work it back to actually are we helping a customer kind of meet a need meet their why they've why they've come to us and really trying to align what the customer wants and what the business can kind of provide the more deeper kind of understanding that you can um, have of customer needs hopefully the more you can overlap what the customer um, needs overlapping the the product and um, company kind of delivery well yeah like having a shared interest is pretty good you know nobody wants to push at a closed door as, as they say but do you find that uh, is, is it ever like too much data or that ever I mean there must still be dilemmas when it comes to figuring out the right path I mean how important is subjective judgment or qualitative um, assessments of customer need, that type of thing? Yeah, I'd say very important in terms of adding that additional layer over the top. As I said, the the, the kind of the power of an anecdote of walking through the site or service as a customer would, which it's very easy to kind of be within a business looking at a site, looking at a homepage, doing kind of day-to-day work on it, but not really starting from the principle as a, of a customer right at the start of their journey and walking through their journey. Again, you may have 
tens of thousands of people doing that every day, looking for different products, going through different routes, different services. It, it's rare that you very often go through over and over again uh, those kind of journeys and, and really understand what's going on um, in those. I mean, and to the point where, you know, often if you sit behind someone who might be shopping for something that that you're selling and they're struggling when you're looking over their shoulder, it's a completely different experience to, you know, looking at uh, kind of dashboards of data and it might highlight well, areas for you to like, explore, but it, 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 it gives you kind of a different feeling of, ah, okay, there's something to something to explore here and something to look at. Well, it's like I don't know who who kind of issued this kind of edict, but it, you know the, the phrase, you know, you are not the customer. You know, we're also involved in the day to day of what we do. Sometimes, you know, for somebody who isn't like embedded in it, they take a completely different view. And then there's also multiple audiences. Some people might grasp something immediately; other people won't. So I guess there's all these sorts of considerations that go on. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, what what are some of the principles that go into developing this into? like a roadmap or a plan because you know in a way it's a very universal product you know it's everyone has has a bed of some sort and there'll be some people more predisposed to buying from you guys than others and so on but the the audience must still be fairly broad or am I, or am I wrong yeah i think there's always going to be kind of differentiators there and and i guess as a business you're trying to um, but across why why to choose um, your business versus versus competitors, which is obviously a very kind of important consideration. But again, that needs to align with what the customer's looking to looking to get from from transacting with with somebody. There will obviously be some customers who um, may be more interested in um, speed fulfillment um, if they've got a particular requirement um, that products broken needs replacement um, yeah. urgently it's a different need to um, looking at doing something in the medium to long term and going out and gaining inspiration and, and getting ideas so um, again it, it I guess the, the basic principle is can you make what you're offering kind of accessible easy to use get the the kind of the foundations in place regardless of um, of having really a deep understanding of a customer if they've chosen to visit you and your site isn't just available if there's issues with it yeah, if yeah. it's not running correctly on certain devices if it's too slow um if google can't fully index it and understand what your um what's important to surface you're not going to be getting customers in through the front door so getting all of that kind of foundational stuff correct and then starting to build on actually is it easy to use once once customers are there can you make it a bit more persuasive these are kind of i guess some universal um, Mm. things and then i guess at the top top level once you start getting into different audiences you know does it does everything translate to all of the audiences that you need it to? Can you personalize it? Um, are you kind of giving delightful experiences rather than just functional ones, which are which are easy to use? So I think to I guess to go back to the the, the roadmap question, it's it, it's understanding all of the different inputs that you have that you can use and evaluate. Um, you'll have people if you've got physical stores going into stores, having conversations and experiences with, with colleagues, 
you'll have people phoning up potentially customer services, delivery um, lines. Every customer will have a story um, or a potential issue or requirement that, that they'll have. You've got all of that alongside surveys, um, any kind of NPS feedback, any voice mm-hmm. of customer, um, then all of the different data points that you've, you've got in terms of what the customers are clicking on, how they're interacting with the site. You may have tools like session replay tools, which show you how customers are actually navigating around um, a lot of logs of you know, errors. There's a, a whole load of things which you can kind of use to get an understanding of actually what are the what a customer needs, where are we potentially falling down, what are the opportunities. Once you've got a long list of those, and it usually is a long list once you start having conversations, you might look at doing user testing, whether mm-hmm. that's um, remote or kind of in person, whether it's moderated where you're talking a customer through a particular scenario or unmoderated where um, you're giving them a, a, a scenario and, and mm-hmm. kind of letting them walk through themselves and, and vocalize what they're doing. All of that can kind of feed into this list of potential opportunities, potential solutions. And then I guess the trick is marrying that up with what the business currently offers, what it can offer, which solutions you can provide, which meet those needs where you've got identifiable areas where you can make improvement. And then it's a case of trying to prioritize um, what you should be tackling. Um, Easy as that. (laughs) Yeah, I've yet to work anywhere where there's enough capacity to work through absolutely everything that you that you could be doing so i guess the prioritization is is really where you're trying to get the most value out of what you can do and it's i guess probably the most challenging challenging well, part yeah so, it's also kind of one of these things where i guess similar to other topics we've had on this podcast the process is, is the actual work you know, you're never fully, fully done, but you've got that task of prioritization and, you know, things don't just stop either. You know, customer needs evolve, product ranges develop in different ways as well. So nothing is standing still. So the process and, you know, navigating is is, is really crucial. But I mean, you, you, you mentioned a few different um, important data sources there. Some that, you know, probably probably a minority of companies would consider combining, you know, like Net Promoter Score, which for those who aren't familiar is a measure of, uh, well, officially it's like a measure of customer intent to uh, recommend. So the traditional Net Promoter Score is how likely on a scale of 1 to 10 or 0 to 10 um, are you to recommend this company. And and it has some predictive validity as well, you know, I, I know that from, my own background in customer experience software back in back in the twenty uh, tens, um, but then you've also mentioned you know data from analytics and click data and all this type of stuff, and presumably then client communication data as well and feedback of that nature. So it's it's a lot to take in. And what but what I really like is what you mentioned initially was the getting the fundamentals right. And then becoming more sophisticated because for a lot of the fundamentals, it's almost you need data to understand what's most important to customers. But there are there are also some kind of common sense elements around availability, communication, speed, 
Is that fair to say? Yes, yeah. I think there's the, the basics are obviously just making sure that the site's kind of operational up and works for uh, as many customers as, as it can, which, again, is easier said than done with, you know, thousands of different device mm. types um, that customers can can visit on. Um, and obviously having a, a fast site, there's, you know, a lot of different numbers that you can get in terms of how speed impacts mm. um, whether customers dwell on the site or whether they, they bounce off, off after a short period of time and whether they persist through and, um, and complete a goal. So I guess just the fundamentals of having a a performant site. The, yeah, I guess the benefit of of that from a customer point of view is also that if um, you know Google is a, a big driver of traffic for the majority of companies, if it is a fast, performant, well written site, that should give you benefits from a from an acquisition point of view in terms Absolutely. of getting really... as well. And from a ranking perspective, you'd hope at least, you know, Google does talk about, quote, helpful content more than anything else these days. Um, so, you know, having a as, cl- as close to seamless experience as possible is definitely part of, you know, what it takes to be a high-performing site that they would consider ranking. But, it, I mean, it is, it is quite a, interesting that really what we're talking about here, the customer experience is, you know, very very correlated or almost the same in some elements as the digital experience the you know how they encounter the site will be through organic search or paid ads or something and a lot of companies will separate out you know insight teams or product teams from acquisition whereas it feels like you've got more of an affinity for how these things overlap yes i guess it's um and, and it is common within, you know, within businesses to have that separation of um, kind of expertise. I guess, yeah, looking looking again from taking a step back and looking from a customer perspective, the journey may start, you know, many months before in terms of understanding who who you are, what you what you do, and it could be from any any series of kind of advertising that um, is in market. I guess when they when they enter and when they're really looking to to um, purchase a product or a service, again there might be multiple routes that a customer starts that mm. journey on. If it's a, an omni-channel retailer, it might be typing in a, a very, fairly general term and getting a map result to see which type of retailers are in that local area. Clicking on that, mm-hmm. reading reviews of a, a you know a particular location it could be they go through image um search to to look at products and try and visualize which then might get them into google shopping which would be kind of google's i guess image-led uh route of getting customers into product onto a site it could be that they they come through brand and then what they're seeing either from a an ad perspective or an organic listing perspective from a consistency point of view needs to line up with what they then experience on-site so looking at it from an on-site perspective purely without the context of where the customer has come from if they click through on an ad which um you know suggests you offer a particular product or a service or a price point they land on the site and they don't see the message that that they've clicked on Mm. the thing which has encouraged them to click on that versus anything else that may be the thing which is negatively impacting the site experience but it's all around the context of where the where the customer has come from. So 
um, having that understanding of context of where the customers be is useful to to understanding what you need to do on site to encourage them to stay and, and move on to the next step of the journey. I mean, that's just really interesting because I think one of the challenges also is there for where you don't have full control over how they've encountered the brand. Um, I guess with a, you know, Benson's for Benson's a pretty sizable company. You've mentioned the kind of brick and mortar locations as well. So people can encounter the brand through the map view. They can encounter it through reviews or uh, I suppose like comparison sites, all sorts of different things. Um, which I guess that's great for the footprint and visibility, but it also might add a bit of complexity to ensure consistency or, you know, have a, a starting point on the main site where people can find their own way. Um, when it comes to the brand, is I guess I guess that's helpful in a way, and it's a known brand. There's an element of trust as a default, I imagine. Does that mean people, um, you know, come direct or is it still, you know, people quietly shopping around and then finding their way to the site? Um, it's probably a mix. Um, it's probably the fairest, fairest answer. Um, there'll be some people who will know who you are and some people that will discover you through starting a journey of looking for a particular particular product um i've certainly worked in in areas where the brand brand hasn't been as well known and it's all around making sure that you're positioned mm. at the point that the customer's looking for um looking for a product or or service where you you don't have um, i guess historic um brand recognition there which is a, a, a different place to be and there's obviously you know a lot of um pure play companies will kind of enter various markets and, and kind of have that um, have that challenge of trying to establish themselves um, against uh, retailers that have been been around for, for a bit longer. But in terms of, yeah, the, the, the journey, it, it may be that some, I guess, some businesses will assume that a lot of customers will kind of land on your homepage and that's the, the story. And they'll, they'll work their way through in, in kind of a linear fashion where, Obviously, it's a little bit more complicated than, than that. Um, so really trying to get across important information to a customer, depending on where they're coming from. And yeah. the context is, is is a key point as well. It's one of these things where having that footprint is, is, is nice, but then also it just means there's more ways for people to encounter you, perhaps sometimes in surprising ways, depending on where they land on some inner page. And they've got to find their way you know, ideally to where they want to be. Um, but I guess that's, again, something that you you, you apply this data sets to, your, your, the insights that you've got to try and make sure that if people end up on a page that isn't quite right for them, they can navigate to a page that is right for them. Yes, yeah. So uh, some of the, um, I guess, what, what people may say is kind of the more boring, detailed work of, of looking at, the structure of the of the site, the you know things like product data, which will often determine how things are categorised, how the navigation works, therefore how customers kind of work their way through what the filters are. All of those types of things can have a 
you know, a real make a real difference in terms of customers discovering you or customers understanding um, which products uh, you, you offer, and then being able to find the right one um, for you. So, um, you know, take a lot of kind of clothing retailers who will have a, a, a lot of different data and a lot a lots of different categories. How customers, I, I guess, look at um, particular clothing items and the language they might use to try and find or describe Absolutely, what they're looking yeah. for versus quite simple product data potentially behind the scenes. Um, you know, if, if customers are trying to find something off-site um, that you offer but you don't have a page for it, you don't have any copy that relates to it, they may not even get get to the site in the first place. But then if they are there and using something like an internal search for terms which relate to products that you have but aren't, tagged in, in the right way or not within your category structure or not within any of the data which your internal search is picking up, then again, it's suggesting to you there that the customers are looking for something, you, you probably do offer it. If you look at the structure, you look at the data behind the scenes, it may be a, a, a quick way of getting more product in, in front yeah, of the customers. Yeah, kind of but it, it still takes somebody to join the dots, which you know for, for some big retailers and small retailers – they just don't do. I think sometimes, and this is a phrase I use excessively on these on these podcasts, is when companies use an um, inside-out perspective rather than an outside-in, mm-hmm. you know, because people can't be relied upon, customers can't be relied upon to search using the precise technical industry term for something. They might not even know what it is. They might, you know, know some terminology in fashion or... I don't know, um, electronics or furnishings, but they won't know the the specific product description. I think that's sometimes where retailers can let themselves down when they don't have product descriptions that use human language. They might use mm-hmm. euphemistic kind of excitable language, but it's not what people are searching for. Or it doesn't respond to the questions people have because people are full of questions. You know, that, that's something I guess it's become more evident as... Um, time goes on, how you can respond to these questions. Um, I guess in terms of searches, how important or not is uh, seasonality? Either, you know, the seasonality of mattresses and beds, uh, which I'm I'm not aware of. I don't know if there is a particular peak and trough. Um, But also seasonality more generally, like, you know, Christmas, um, kind of summertime, Black Friday, that type of stuff. Are there other kind of is, is there like a seasonal element here to tap into? Um, I guess there's, there's certain categories which would be um, you, you obviously associate with certain um, certain periods of time. You know, obvious ones being anything relating to kind of gifting. Mm. Um, other categories where they shouldn't really be, but I guess in the behaviour that sales are on Black Friday as an example, customers may be looking for deals at that particular particular point which creates a, you know an artificial demand yeah. because people generally are looking at black friday regardless of the product category that they might be interested in so um again it might there'll always be a, a number of customers who have a particular need at a particular point in time there may be others who are looking over a, a slightly longer Mm. term for, for a new product who may move the time 
that they decide to make a purchase based on everything else which is which is going on going on in the market um any uh, any massive spikes around valentine's day before or after (laughs) there's certainly certainly been um advertising campaigns within within the industry i think uh, around then but um yeah it's um it's I guess it's like you know, take categories something like washing machines, for example. I'm sure that there'll there'll be spikes in demand for those categories around Black Friday, just based on customers knowing that there will be price and promotions on um, during that period of time. It's not that they all of a sudden need a washing machine one week earlier, or two weeks earlier, or or a month earlier. They're just aligning themselves with the promotional period to. And I, and I guess in certain, you know, sectors that can potentially be a bit, um, well, maybe misleading is the wrong word, but it, could, it might give a bit of false encouragement sometimes to retailers if you see a spike. But it's not, it's not really qualified interest. It's people that might take a punt if the price is right, which it might not be. That might not be as exciting as fewer searches, but more interest in purchase. Yes, yeah, and I guess the the the, the value of of the customers coming in um, yeah. is uh, and you know versus the types of products that that you sell. I guess to go back to the the point of differentiation and um, what you offer versus competitors. I guess working for a, a business which is a specialist in a particular product area. Mm-hmm. Versus a, a general retailer who can offer a wide variety of products across multiple categories, don't have uh, that, I guess, depth of expertise. Therefore, purely compete on price. Yeah, yeah. It's where can you show the the value, and there's different ways of defining value to customers of of uh, buying a product with a particular business. It it often value is often around pricing and cheapest pricing but actually the value could be a, a better product which lasts for longer and ensuring mm-hmm. that that's the right product for for you rather than um, something you're making a purchase on that doesn't really meet your needs you've bought it on a price at a time because of the, the feeling of kind of pressure to get a deal um, perhaps and then it turns out in a few months time that actually maybe there's a little bit of bit of regret there and having spent a bit more time had a look around at, at, at different areas you may have made a may have made a different different choice yeah that's it and that you know that feeling that residual feeling of satisfaction or not can influence your next purchase so i mean i think that kind of discipline disciplined approach I think is really important you know knowing where you sit in the market um you know competing where you want to compete based upon where your product is superior or you have a you know better fit for a particular audience I think that's a nice discipline to have because yeah there's people in the marketplace from all sorts of backgrounds specialists generalists retailers people that can um you know uh, create uh, unreasonable discounts, I suppose, or unsustainable discounts. But then the quality factor, particularly for a purchase, you know, of this nature is 
really, really important. It's like it's something you cannot ignore. Really, it'll have a direct impact on your well-being if you, you know, um, make a purchase that you subsequently regret. Um, so I think having that discipline you mentioned is really good, and I guess all the data points that you mentioned earlier as well helps to maintain that discipline and, um, you know, market things in the right way as well. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I guess on that point, when you look at companies in other industries and other sectors uh, who might have similar, I guess, opportunities, similar pressures, is there anything you feel like they can learn from this industry or your approach specifically with all this, you know, applying these data points sensibly to the product strategy? Yeah, so um, when you're listening to a customer who's actually really in market, um, you can often get insights which are slightly different from just kind of running through the site yourself or um, having someone who's not really in market just working through whether something is usable or not. Um, So, you know, in the case of, say, automotive, where you may be dropping a car off for a service or for sale, potentially a period of time where you wouldn't have the vehicle, um, you could make a really easy-to-use booking process with maps and times on there and and go over and over and over, um, ensuring that that's as easy to use as possible. But it may be when you have a conversation with somebody who's actually going through that process that they start to vocalize considerations such as, well, I'll be coming from here and I need to get back to there. It will be this time of night. Are the bus services running? Are there trains? Is there a a service which would allow me to get somewhere? Can I stay? Mm -hmm. Do I have to leave? How long do you need it for? What happens if I need to pick it up the next day if you find something? Um, All of these questions, which probably in a in a branch, having a conversation over the phone would probably be vocalised as well, isn't obvious when you're just looking at data and saying, well, why aren't customers selecting a 5pm slot or whatever it might be? It's mm. usable. It's the same process, the same flow. The map might be usable. But it may be that they're going off to find bus times tables and things like that, where in that particular location it's a bit more a bit more challenging. Um, I guess it's a fairly niche example, but it's, it's those types of things where you know looking to replace a product you've got one in your house how do you get that out get the new product in if it's large if it's a large piece of furniture example where's that going to go is there a recycling service available Could the council pick up large pieces of furniture what days Mm -hmm. can can those be arranged versus the type of window of opportunity you're giving them to have a new product delivered in again when you're in that really yeah. in the customer mindset it's it's it just overlays that additional detail that you need where just looking at a, a flow or some data doesn't really give you that understanding of why a particular um no it going. doesn't and i think it's, it, it can be tempting to kind of just you know look at numbers on a page or a sheet um, but that, the, the qualitative um, side of things is, is so important. The human aspect of it is so important, having that empathy. And, you know, in an era when there's so much alienation, I suppose, from, you know, potential um, businesses or 
product creators, it is good to have the feeling that people understand you, that there is that kind of, you know, empathy for your situation and an understanding of the practicalities. And, you know, you mentioned the point about, you know, this practicality of getting a large bit of furniture out of a place. You know, that might be something somebody's anxious about. It might be something that causes them to think, how is this going to happen? Is it going to be... Is it going to be a pain? Is it going to be? Is it even going to be possible? So taking away stress is, you know, a great way to um, build that customer loyalty and build a bit more of an affinity. When, you know, not everything is about price and product availability. It's also about the the wider experience, mm-hmm. and I guess that's something that can also get lost quite a lot along the way when people don't choose to combine data with the human aspect and the understand what makes a difference for people yes yeah exactly it's um you might have a lot of what's going on you might make some assumptions about why it's happening and um with the you know in terms of prioritizing what what to go after you could put a solution potential solution in place which isn't actually addressing the under underlying problem um so you know I've spent a reasonable number of years looking at experimentation and conversion rate optimization. So um, Mm -hmm. is this solution better than that solution? Are we sure it is? Um, Again, you've got a limited number of solutions that you you can probably build and and try out for any any given opportunity. So which one are you going to choose? And the more... um, the more informed you are about why you've picked that particular um, solution. Um, even going to the point of potentially writing a hypothesis around, we're doing this because we've mm. seen this, we're going to change this because of that, and we'd expect to see this metric move. Having that discipline of really understanding what you're, what you're doing and why you're doing it um, can definitely help with that as well. I mean that that word discipline comes up again, and I think it's it's such an important one. It's one that, by its very nature, you can apply to get an edge, because if you are more disciplined than your competition about the rigor with which you find a solution or make life easier for customers, that's an advantage where you don't have to, um, you know, sacrifice margin or something else. You 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 you're fighting on a different type of battleground. Um, and it's also where if you have that mindset over time, you can build, you know, build it into the operation, build that kind of mindset into things that, that seems to be quite a powerful thing to do, um, on a, I guess you, I suppose it is a marketing perspective because it's how the, how the company becomes known, what it's, what its reputation is, all that type of stuff. It's weird how all of this is interrelated. You've got the kind of SEO metrics, the product, practicalities around fulfillment and delivery and then this idea of um discipline and as you say it's not just about having a solution and being happy with that solution but being aware that there are multiple solutions and the best solution might change over time or it might be different for different audiences so having that discipline it does it does seem quite unusual these days to be honest i mean it feels like that to me that you know not every company is quite so thoughtful about this stuff yeah, and I think again, it's it's the looking at the different solutions can actually give you kind of advantages in in certain areas. Um, again, 
to go back to to automotive, you know, uh, one customer need maybe I want to see the vehicle. Um, I want to see what it what it will look like. Pre digital, it would have been having to go to a dealership and and actually physically see the product, and you're obviously then limited with the number that you can see. If you're looking at a, I guess a customized bespoke new car, for example, it may be that now you can visualize it by having a wizard and customizing all of the interior and the the exterior. It may be that you have user-generated content showing pictures of particular vehicles, so you may not need to have a full configurator, but you can give customers an mm. idea of which which ones um, are available. Obviously, that's a differentiator over someone who can't build that type of digital experience for that particular for that particular customer. But there are there are different yeah. ways of meeting that that customer customer need. So it's plus it's another interesting example where you've got to have the idea but then also the technical flexibility to make this stuff happen so having that headroom is quite important and i guess that's that's in multiple industries not just this one it's you know and user-generated content is such a major factor these days for trust it's not about having the the most well shot picture but a real picture you know that's quite quite attractive and I guess also coming back again to Google, we think about their EAT kind of um, framework, experience, expertise, authority, trust, people with direct experience of the product and documenting that through user-generated content. That should also have you in good stead from a SEO perspective. I mean, this is, this is what Google tells us. Um, you know, I think some companies benefit more than others, but yeah, that's the, that feels like the direction of travel. Yes, that fair yeah, to say? and I think, again, you, you've, you've touched on um, you know, other areas where you can start to get the understanding of, of customer relationship with, with products. If you're looking at, say, product reviews, there's you know an awful lot of useful information there, um, whether it's mm-hmm. you know addressing potential issues that customers are identifying with a product, whether it's um, ensuring that you're um, dealing with any reviews which are, are left and being seen to to deal with them is again helpful in building trust mm. but yeah everyone i think knows the power of customer reviews through google but looking at the language that customers are using um to mm-hmm. explain what the product is how they're using it again can help you to go back to your inside out um look at how you're talking about a product versus how customers are talking about a product and again to go to the kind of the off site yeah it's helping customers then find that product. And if finding a product is the route into your your business rather than through finding you as a as a brand first, if it's a if it's a product first, then again that's all all going to benefit. Well and as the aspect of closing the loop with customers, which is, you know, a big phrase in the customer experience community. You know, the idea that even if somebody has expressed a, an issue or encountered some friction, the very act of responding to them, recognizing them and getting back to them and telling them what, you know, what can be done for them, but also what will be done in the future more generally, that can leave people as, you know, going back to the net promoter score model, you know, that can result in them becoming promoters rather than detractors because, in their moment of frustration, you've actually shown who you really are, and that's that's had a greater impact on them 
than a you know a normal ordinary good experience. Yeah, you know what I mean. So this is everything's an opportunity to do better and to leave a positive impact. But again, it comes back to the discipline part, doesn't it? You know, can people have that approach? Can they back it up with their product um, um, experience and so on? Yeah, I guess it's. Um... It's back to that simple view of, of how customers view a business. They view it as one entity, no matter how and where they're interacting with it. And in, inside a business, yeah, there the may be different channels, there may be different um, departments dealing with different different areas of it. Um, and if if one of those feels out of sync or out of kilter with another, it's the customer who, you know, who notices that more than more more than more than the business? Would. Yeah, and, they, and you know, they and we as customers, we can feel that on a gut level, not necessarily an intellectual level, but you kind of think, oh, something's not, something's different here, something's jarring. So yeah, having that joined up experience is really key. Um, I mean, I guess on that point, you know, it's a, that's a, a reasonable point to wrap up on. But one question we do like to finish on is, you know, what is. Uh, what, what can you do to build a high-performing team when it comes to uh, all of these areas that we've discussed, you know, talking about data, talking about a digital product? Like, what, what goes into building a team that can support this type of initiative? I think there's there's obviously a lot of different kind of strands that you, you could have, um, and a lot of digital teams will be, you know, enormous for some big kind of e-commerce retailers and have very, very specialist um, mm. knowledge. So I guess it, it's the right fit for kind of company size in terms of deep, deep technical understanding of an area versus um, broad knowledge of of lots. I guess the probably the underlying principle is just that, always looking to improve and understand um, is, a, is probably a slightly different mindset to just doing things as they have been done in the past. Um, it's, a, I guess, a fairly obvious yeah. thing to say in terms of digital, but it's a, it's a constantly evolving, constantly changing um, space. So the, I guess having the mindset of being able to um, always improve, always be looking at the next thing that you could be doing Um you know, I've yeah. worked in digital for... Have a bit of restlessness, I suppose. Yeah, I guess I've been in digital for 20 years. The things which I was kind of learning, applying 20 years ago, in terms of the very technical aspects, are constantly changing. I guess the fundamentals, less so. Um, so it's probably just that, yeah, having that willingness to continue to evolve and continue to look at kind of new experiences and uh, new ideas. Well, I think that's a great point to wrap up on. So, James, I need to thank you again for taking part. We've covered so much here about, you know, customer empathy, different sources of data, contextualizing that in the, you know, the real human experience of customers, having that empathy, the restlessness approach, the discipline, of course, of like not just settling on one um, model, but developing your approach over time as things move on. Uh, yeah, hopefully our listeners have enjoyed this. Um, loads of insights in there for all sorts of industries, not just um, online retail or offline retail. Lots of info in there. So, James, thanks again for taking part. It's been my pleasure. Thanks, Martin.